0: Good morning, my friend. I am so grateful to be here with you. It is Mind Change Monday. We're here in Season 8 of the podcast with 100 Doses of Hope, and today I've got an important Mind Change episode for you because this is going to help you change your mind about some of the hard things that you go through, And, and particularly in one aspect of them. I've got A special guest today who was introduced to me by my our mutual friend, Dr. Joseph Maroon. Dr. Joe Maroon was the chairman of neurosurgery at Allegheny General in Pittsburgh when I was a medical student, and he gave me my shot to become a neurosurgeon. So if I have benefited you as a brain or spine surgeon or peripheral nerve surgeon in my career, it's really because Joe Maroon opened the door for me and gave me that opportunity But more importantly, he went on to become a significant mentor for me, and we're still friends to this day. And Joe reached out recently and said, hey, my friend Tim Murphy has written a book, and he's he's an amazing guy, and you should get to know him, and introduced us. And turns out uh, Tim Murphy is a Ph.D., a clinical psychologist who served in the U.S. Navy. His focus has been on traumatic brain injury and PTSD. And he served eight terms in the United States House of Representatives in Pennsylvania, and Tim has written two previous books, Overcoming Passive Aggression and the Angry Child, and his new book is called The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. Now, one of the interesting things about this conversation, and the reason I'm putting it on Monday for Minds Change Monday, is this. Tim opens his book with the detail that his worst trauma that he's gone through in his life was self-inflicted. He doesn't give great detail, and you know, all of us have things that we've done that are that are big deals, but they don't often happen on a big stage like when you're a U.S. congressman. And so Tim had some, some problem in his life that he owns in the first chapter of the book, and that created trauma for him and, and a significant disruption of his life and his family and his marriage and all kinds of problems. And this process that he learned from the Apostle Paul of how Christ can help us put our lives back together after trauma and PTSD— is so valuable and so critical and his book is incredible and I think it's gonna be very helpful to you. And it's just it's gonna illustrate one point and that is this. It's gonna illustrate many points, but one point I want you to get that might be easily missed is that sometimes our traumas and our tragedies and our other massive things are in fact our fault. Like sometimes we make decisions that put us in the wrong place at the wrong time or we choose the wrong relationship or we break a vow or we we do something that we ought not to have done drink something and drive or or something else happens, and it turns out that the thing that happens that wrecks our life and sometimes somebody else's life or family's is because of a decision that we made, a sin that we committed, a a choice that we made, something we neglected or or actually did with our hands. And so it's important to understand that even if the trauma – give yourself permission to learn this today, friend – Even if the thing that put your life on a downward and negative trajectory, even if the thing that opened the door for the massive thing to visit you and throw you into the pit of despair or the furnace of suffering, even if that was something that you did on your own that was your fault, you still deserve healing and hope and happiness and grace again. I remember when I read uh, Brian Stevenson's book, just Mercy that was subsequently turned into a movie, and the movie was great, but it didn't do justice to the book at all. But Just Mercy was this, this look that Brian Stevenson wrote about the criminal justice system and his work of trying to overturn wrongful convictions of, of capital uh, crimes, and it's incredible when you read that book to learn that so many people who have been executed in our country or who are currently on death row did not commit the crimes for which they were accused, or they committed similar crimes to which other people who had a different socioeconomic background or racial background received far lesser punishment. And the system was incredibly stacked against certain members of our society. So I'll leave that for another day, but that's a book you should read, Just Mercy. But there's a line in that book that came to me as I was thinking about Tim Murphy's story, and Brian Stevenson said, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Each of us is more than the worst moment of our life. Each of us is more than the worst decision we ever made. And the problem is our society sometimes and other people, especially people we've hurt or people that we've wronged in some way, they have a hard time seeing us or giving us grace in the future as people who still deserve to have a life and have hope and have happiness and have faith and all those things again. And so one of the things I want you to get from this conversation with Tim Murphy is to change your mind about the fact if you had something to do with the massive thing darkening your door, you still can find a way back to hope. There's still a cure for you, and that cure has to do with Jesus and the incredible hope that he offers us. And so Tim has a great strategy and toolkit for you for dealing with PTSD um, and dealing with trauma and tragedy and these other things. And it's really a nice um, complement to my book, Hope is the First Dose. I think it'll be interesting if you read both of them. Um, Mine is uh, more surgical and his is more clinical and psychological. But I think they're going to help each other, um, help people. But both of these books will be important in helping people uh, learn how to process their lives after these massive things occur. So I just wanted to give you that for Mind Change. Monday and I hope that it's helpful to you because my friend don't forget even if you've experienced trauma or tragedy or some other massive thing you still need to find the light again and hope is the first dose because you can't change your life until you change your mind and the good news is you can start today hey are you ready to change your life if the answer is yes there's only one rule you have to change your mind first I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Okay, well, friend, we're back, and I'm so excited to introduce you to a new friend today. Um Really uh, impressive man. He's got a great history that we're going to talk about. and I just told you some things about him, but I've got Congressman Tim Murphy with us here today. Tim, welcome to the show.
1: It's great to be with you. What an honor to be with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And thank you for your service to our country.
1: Well, as I like to say, you were worth it.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, We were introduced uh, by a mutual friend, Dr. Joe Maroon, who's a longtime friend and mentor of mine, really my uh, the reason I'm a neurosurgeon is Joe took a chance on me a long time ago, so I'm, bl- I'm grateful he introduced us.
1: Yeah, a, w- a wonderful man had been a, a mentor to me, too, although my background is psychology. Uh, so much of this, he and I have discussed the neurology of trauma and of psychological issues, so I now say when he gives a talk, he talks more psychology than neurology, and I talk more neurology than psychology, but we both <laughs> talk they- about faith, so that's how it works.
0: That's right. They meet in the middle, don't they? Yeah. That's right. Hey, uh, Tim, before we get started, would you mind saying a little prayer for us?
1: I'd love to do that. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together to help guide other people in the lessons of what they can learn as they deal with their own struggles in life. Let them know in their hearts and their minds and their spirit the benefits and joy that comes with connecting hope that comes through you, through your grace, through our faith in you and our trust in you. And let that guidance continue throughout their lives. So that they may know the great joy of being connected with you and others. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you. Now, you've written a book. Um, it's not your first book. It's your third book, right? I think third. Right. Third book. That's right. Yeah. Um, the Christ Cure, um, which is, uh, I love this subtitle. It reminds me of mine a little bit. Uh, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. And so this book, um, it's really, we're going to get into the conversation about where it came from, but really you use sort of the life of Paul as a way to look at how we go through hard things and just kind of break that. Give us a kind of 30,000 foot view of what you did in the book and, and why you did it that way.
1: Well, I've had, like many people, my own struggles in life and uh, dealing with my own family issues, depression issues, childhood issues, etc. And really reach my own, I don't want to call it a breaking point, but maybe that come to Jesus point. I like to say that in our lives, God says, hey, you have free will. I told you the rules. Go follow them. Make the best of it. Right. And about 99% of people don't do that. And um, <clears throat> now and then, we if we're lucky, we get a whisper or a tap on the shoulder that says redirect. Or as um, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother was born for adversity. And if we're lucky, we can have a friend or a brother that can say, hey, you know, change this, do this. Well, sometimes instead we get that two by four smacking us upside the head that says, "Wake up, change, redirect." Yep. Um, and I had the, the, my, the my moments too. It wasn't as uh, interesting or glorious as a shaft of light and the Lord saying, "Tim, why are you persecuting me?" But it was certainly a wake up moment, that I I tell people we're lucky if we get that. Well, um, I could either struggle with my own issues and be so totally caught up in um, in the the vanity and uh, arrogance of self pity but instead i'm going to i said i'm going to read a lot more of the bible and get into understanding this as a psychologist who's practiced for decades i knew technically what to do with trauma <clears throat> and with recovery uh i had worked in the navy working with ptsd and traumatic brain injury but you know it's very different when you deal with yourself so in yeah. turning to the bible i really began to study the life of the apostle paul and the things that he had been through that um he hunted down Christians, although he called them Nazarenes at the time. He mm-hmm. really believed he was doing the right thing. He wanted to save the Israelites from another 40 years of this or, or another conquering or something else there. He also had the politics of how he had to appease the Romans. Um, but when he had, his, he had the big change that came, uh, the, the, the flash of light and, and, and being told why he persecuted me, he's blinded. Um, he switches from those who he was defending, now became his enemies. And those who he persecuted now didn't trust him. Yeah, He had to sneak out of towns. He had to. He was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten with rods three times. He was given 39 lashes five times. <clears throat> he was shipwrecked. He floated around the Mediterranean for a day and a half on a piece of wood, bit by a snake, robbed. And I'm just getting started. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking, wow, I... Uh, he must have had overwhelming post traumatic stress disorder. He must have mm. had nightmares and broken relationships and uh, alcoholic drug addict uh, uh, flashbacks all the time. Um, just becoming incompetent and disabled, and he wasn't. Yeah. So I thought, well, somebody must have written a book about this. Let me go find guidance. And I searched and searched and searched, and as it turns out nobody did, which I couldn't believe. After all this time, yeah. you think someone would have looked at him as the model of trauma. And resilience. So, um, this may sound a little strange, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I'm no biblical scholar, but I sat <laughs> down at my keyboard and I started typing. And yeah. out of that emerged. Uh, I know we talk a lot in the military about resilience. You know what the skill sets yeah. you need before the battle, and we learn uh, skills of resistance, how we handle the battle, how we fight, yeah. and we learn about recovery. And what I saw is that Paul really had a lot that he wrote about each thing, how he managed his own life, the things he wrote about, the experience he had um, to build up his resilience, and then tools he had to deal with all the oppression and, and, uh, uh, and pain he was suffering, and then looking at his own recovery and emerging from that. But what really struck me is he didn't dwell on recovery. Now, I I mean no harm to those who are dealing with an addiction or something, and they talk about being in in recovery for 5 or 10 or 50 years. Yeah, But Paul moved right to this other level, which he wrote about, and that's his renewal. And he said in Romans 12, 2, to be transformed by a renewing of the mind.
0: That's right.
1: And I said, there it is. That's the key of what he did. Uh, And so I explored more and realized Paul's not an iffy thinker. He does not like the gray zone. Uh, he does not straddle the fence if I can mix all my metaphors. He's very much you do this or you do that you you, yeah. you can't you can't do both and so I pulled from his writings several of these um dichotomies, as I call it, and in each case he had written so much it was an abundance of riches of the kind of things that he had said and then what I did is i in uh, i I look at psychological principles that back it up. Psychological principles where we kind of rediscover the wheel and take credit for it. Yeah. So <laughs> I really go back thousands of years into biblical history. I find that amazing when someone says, Oh, the Bible is not contemporary. It really is yeah, because is. as you know, um, suffering and war and trauma and tragedy and broken marriages and all those things that's gone on for thousands of years and humankind has tried to deal with this. So Paul is a great model. So I wrote about that. And then I added other sections too about, um, how we prepare ourselves to continue a healthy life with fitness and a good mental attitude and proper sleep and keeping our mind sharp through mental training and through healthy eating and healthy relaxation. And you would enjoy this as a veteran. Those last six things I mentioned spell out the acronym faster.
0: Yeah.
1: Fitness, attitude, sleep, training, eating, relaxation. And here's where it came from. I didn't write this in the book. So, um, I was on a Navy drill weekend and my commanding officer, um, uh, comes up to me and says, you know, we're having a, uh, General military training, obligatory training at 1,300 hours on suicide prevention. Yes, sir. Um, and you know the guy presenting is a wonderful guy because he's been trained in this, but this is not his field. You're the psychologist. He's an account. Mm. Yes, sir. Where are you going with this? He said, so he's going to speak from 1,300 to 1,330. Uh, sir, where are you going with this? And he says, and 1,330, you're going to tell us what we really need to know. I said, I I said, sir, it. I said sir, it's 1,100 hours now. He yeah, you got two and a half hours, go for it. So what came out of that is I just wrote down it faster and how we how we can get better faster. So that expanded. I realized that Paul was incredibly, I mean, he walked 10, 15,000 miles <clears throat> um, despite being beaten all the time, but did that. He constantly worked on his mental attitude. Throughout the Bible, uh, Jesus and others talk about the need for rest and sleep. Um, mm-hmm. Diet was very important. And as it turns out, the diet uh, that Paul ate, that Jesus ate, was the diet we now recommend—the Mediterranean diet, olive yeah. oil, and avocados, and fish, and all those things. And the relaxation was important too. So uh, this is what came out of this, uh, and uh, as as well as not only stories about Paul and and um, biblical stories, but, but I wove in there other stories of either people I've known or, or, or written or read about who themselves have faced trauma. But the key with this is they've come out better and stronger because of their trauma, not despite their trauma. They're not victims.
0: That's right. You said something right at the start of your book that I thought was so important, Tim. And just as a little bit of background, this podcast started out out of pain. Um, We lost a child in 2013. And in processing that, I started, you know, kind of journaling and writing. and, And that led to connecting with other bereaved parents. And and so that's kind of turned into my writing career really is, is how to help people navigate some of the things we've already navigated, right? Um, and and out of that, the people listening today largely are groups of people who have gone through these traumas and tragedies and hard things and are struggling. And you said something I thought was extremely kind and, and really an, a good observation at the start of the book because you lead with the fact that you – got yourself into some of the trouble that created some of the trauma that you went through and you didn't really elaborate on it, but you, but you, you went into right off the bat. Sometimes trauma is stuff we do to ourselves or unforced errors or these things. And I, and I think there's a real, um, perception that many of us have that if, if it wasn't an accident and it wasn't a disease and it wasn't a sudden death, then we, then we shouldn't get the same sort of, um, kindness from society that we that everybody else gets when they're dealing with something hard and so i mean unpack that for just a second because i think it's really important because there's somebody listening tim who is in that situation they had the affair they did the thing they They drank drank something right
1: right uh and and for the for the first group that something just randomly happened the tornado hurricane flood the being told your child has a fatal disease uh the um the, the auto accident, all those things hit us hard. Uh, you know, Trauma, by definition, is something that's life-threatening or yeah. uh, is devastating to us, ourselves or someone else. And for that, there's lots of people who come to our aid. That doesn't mean it's easy. It's brutally hard, brutally mm-hmm. hard to recover from those things. And we shouldn't pretend otherwise. It's tough. But There's people who come to our aid. There's whole organizations, Red Cross, counseling groups, et cetera, will be there. And society will wrap their arms, although for the second category, people who lead a life that has some risk, the soldier, the farming policeman, um, the doctor who works in the burn unit, the nurse who works in the emergency room. Some people say, oh, yeah, well, you knew you were going to have some risky days. Right. Now, well, that's not really true. Yeah, we know it, but we don't join the military because, oh, I want to see trauma. I wanna... Right. And, but still, there's people who come to our aid and say, OK, well, there's networks to help you. The third group, however, uh, there was a real bias against, and that's where someone brings it upon themselves, either uh, with their a broken marriage, their drinking, uh, their addiction, whatever it is, yeah. or whether it be gambling or drugs or pornography or uh, the person who wants to get the thrills by riding their motorcycle down the road at 200 miles an hour gets an accident. Those kinds of things, uh, you really find that one of the the greatest as that occurs, it's abandonment and betrayal. Yeah. Now, granted, whatever the trauma occurs, oftentimes people feel abandoned. Why has God abandoned? I me? And even Jesus says this. Why are you right. forsaken me? But it, it really is worse when we bring it on ourselves. And this is where some people will just say, well, I can't get better. The prisoners who I've talked to says, I have no hope. I'm going to be in prison the next 10 years. Okay, well, if you're going to be in prison the next 10 years, how do you want to spend those 10 years when you get out someday? or even to the person whatever occurs to them to say you could still spend these this time you have reconnecting with god and reconnecting with hope and looking for forgiveness and changes in your life it doesn't have to be spent in suffering now right. there's people who are going to continue to try and push us into that suffering or say well you don't deserve to be better i hate you um we just finished a trial in pittsburgh for the tree of life shooting that horrific mm-hmm. um shooting that occurred and uh John was found guilty. He never denied it. Um, and is it going to be a relief to people in some cases because it's over for four and a half years of waiting for a trial? But I know from that case and others when I work with people with trauma and tragedy, that until we reach a point of saying I have to somehow forgive those who've hurt me and forgive myself, yeah. that is a heavy lift, very yeah. heavy. Lift. But the journey is worth of destination, I think.
0: That's right, and I think every every bereaved parent, every everybody who lost a spouse, they have some of that guilt too that they they don't know how to make themselves not responsible for the thing that happened, even if they didn't do it themselves. I noticed something too, and I was writing my last book. King David in the Old Testament, you know, c- commits adultery, um, is complicit in the murder of of her husband Uriah, and right. then they have a baby, and the baby is is as a punishment, God takes the baby, right? Kills the baby. And the story is really interesting how David mourns before the child dies. He's praying and praying and praying that God will save the child and he's fasting and all these things. And then the baby dies. And the next verse is David gets up and washes his face and gets stressed and goes back to work. And all of his peers are saying, wait, you, you just lost a son. How can you how can you just act like nothing happened? And he said, "Well, but my prayers weren't answered. Now I got to move on. The kid's dead." And I noticed after that, his family's a disaster. His another one of his sons rapes his daughter. That son was murdered by one of his other sons. His son, you know, files a coup against him and tries to take him out of power. And it turns out that all of that was probably bad trauma response on David's part didn't know how to put his brain back together. So he didn't know how to take care of his family after all that happened. And you make this great point about how important it is to go through a process of renewing and healing and, and just unpack that for us. Like, like what's a healthy response to dealing with something like some big tragedy in your life? Like what's the what's the process like that we should be following?
1: Well, one thing we should all be following is understand seventy percent of the population at some time in our life is going to face a major trauma. And, yep. you know, people will play the lottery when the chance are one in 350 million.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: you're not going to win it. <clears throat> but it says, how about would you do something if you had a 70% chance? And, and people say, yes. So, okay, we'll take care, build up these skill sets. And so to begin with, I think that's where we have to build our own strength. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: uh, have our life one that has some of this established in a, in a form of, um, the choices we have with mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual strength. In my book, I lay out various other categories under resilience, but that's a key one. Yeah. The next one is in resistance. to. Um, this is where we have to arm ourselves with tools of how to endure and how to persist and how to fight. Uh, and I don't mean just physically fight, but understand that trauma itself is not just a single event. We, we have um, the single thing that occurs to us which like the death of a child or someone may go over time or an accident or something lingering may be instantaneous. But we can remember so much of the detail of that event with a flashbulb memory. Yeah. Um, Particularly traumatic event. Look, I had a roller for accident when I was in Iraq. I was visiting once. I wasn't in the Navy at the time. Every time I say that, I can taste the sand. I don't know what Mm. it is, but I've got that back. And the smell of the dust in Baghdad, you know, it's a very fine sand there. it, It comes back to me. Well, what what happens in this is we end up those flashbulb memories, but that's what occurred, and we have to understand that is done. You cannot unset the sun; that is there. But what we do is the next is our loop memory, and we will repeat the recall of that event thousands, ten thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. And as we're doing this, you know, this is neurologists. You lay down those fiber tracks. Joe Merwin always said the cells that fire together wire, wire together. Right. That's right. And. And I like to think of it as, it's like the the ruts in the Oregon Trail, that no wagon train has gone through the Oregon Trail in, in a century, but the ruts are still there. Yeah. Or in Rome, the Appian Way, the roads that Romans built, the, the chariot ruts are still there. Our nerves go the same way. And the more we practice those negative responses, the more our brain says, hey, we're under attack. Uh, the amygdala says, let's get going. All this is happening. So we're building this repeat trauma response, and this is where we can intervene uh, and uh, we also have what I call reaction reaction. So it's not, not only we're thinking of the event and having our flashbacks and our, uh, our panic reactions occur, but sometimes we just start to feel down or start yeah. to feel anxious or remind us something is, oh, that just shows I'm not going to be healed. This is always going to be bad. We're having a reaction to our reaction that yeah. we can take care of. We can work on our memory. But here's some key things that when it comes to recovery that I ask people. I always ask people, tell me your story. Now, some, there are some types of uh, therapy, talk therapy, that goes with post-traumatic stress called uh, prolonged exposure therapy. Tell me your story in vivid detail, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And, again. And, and I have found in my experience, a lot of people don't want to do that. Yeah, It's just re-traumatizing. So I say, tell me as much as you want. <clears throat> and with that, we look for some signs. How are you reacting to that? And I ask how they have managed it. Have they managed it by denying it, delaying it, deceiving themselves, uh, having a disruptive life, divorce, drugs, all these things I call the killer Ds.
0: Yeah.
1: And I so said, whatever that is, I asked the question, so how is that working for you? Do you want to continue that? And I asked him this question, and I got this from reading, I hope I'm quoting right, in John, when Jesus comes to the healing waters of Bethesda, and he sees the guy laying on the mat, he says, you want to walk? I guess, oh, you have no idea what a big problem this is, every time. The water stirs, I go down there's no one to help me. I've been in like forever and ever. And Jesus Pick up your man, yeah. let's go. Because Jesus is always saying, Do you want to get better? And so I ask people this critical question Do you want to heal or do you want to hurt? Yeah. And I count quietly in my head along before the answer and how the answer. It it may seem like an obvious question, but it's not an obvious question that people ask themselves because we get so caught up in these thoughts. Um, have you ever seen a video of um <clears throat> Someone may lay out a 1,000 mousetraps in a room, and each mousetrap has a ping-pong ball in it. And someone takes a ping-pong ball and throws it in the room, and suddenly everything's going off. On at once. And that's what happens when we have thoughts, just the thoughts. And uh, all these flashbulb memories are going on, and, and tragedies are going on, and the smell, sound, taste, touch, all these things taking place. But as soon as we put things into words, we have to slow it down. We now are putting control on it. And so when I ask people, do you want to heal or do you want to hurt, and they have to make a decision and a commitment to that, that's a big part. Now, this isn't the simplistic thing of someone saying the alcoholic, well, do you want to get better? Do you want to stop drinking? Just do it. No, it's not that easy right? because we're so caught up in the problem. And then we work on issues like understanding guilt or shame or forgiveness. Uh, and those all build towards this process because, I, as I always tell people, we cannot change what's happened, but we can change how you feel about it now. And, right.
0: and change your trajectory for the future. That's right. Gabriel Maté said that um, trauma is not what happened to you. It's what it's, it's how you responded to it. There you go. Very stoic. Not, Cause you can't change what happened, right? I mean, you can't change yeah. it. You, you're always that thing, but you can change how you think about it. I always tell my, my podcast listeners and my patients in my neurosurgery practice, you can't change your life until you change your mind. You got to change how you think about this situation. Right.
1: That's a really important thing you just said, because I know a lot of people say, can I just have some medication? Can I smoke marijuana? Now we know marijuana actually exacerbates trauma memories. That's terrible funny. thing to use. Awful. Um uh But they say, well, can I just have some medication? Yeah, Medication can help with some moods. But depression, the first round medication, is only effective about 30 35% of people. Then you try a sure. second one, third one, fourth one. But I say this can change how you feel. It won't change how you think, and it won't change how you behave. That's right. And when you change how you think, you can get control over these things. But again, it's not a simple saying, you know, click, change your mind. But these are messages that, that come throughout. I, I love the story of how um, Job, for example, he lost everything. He lost his family, yeah. his wife, his kids, his farm. is a poor, beaten man, covered with sores. And I love when he has this conversation with the Lord. And, he, and he's, one of the things he observes is, you know, even a tree has hope. Even a tree, though it's cut down and, and withered, at the first sign of moisture, it can come back again. I said, yeah. Yep. Folks, same with you. It can do that too.
0: That's right. That's beautiful. So how do you how do you bring your faith into your practice? Like that's tricky as a neurosurgeon. It's tricky sometimes to bring faith into the operating room, bring faith into the pre-op area. How do you how do you do that in your psychology practice?
1: Wow, you know, I, I find myself in a minority. Of psychologists do that of the 100 plus thousand or more psychologists in the country, and 30,000 neuropsychiatrists and psychiatrists or child psychiatrists and other ones. what, what is, What's there among psychologists and counselors, for example, and most of them will not talk about faith at all, they will not talk about religion at all. Yeah, like about a third of psychologists says, well, We just know we're going to do it, they're not agnostic or atheist. About 50 plus percent say, We just, I'm not going to bring it up, but I'm uncomfortable about that. And yet, studies have uh, been done, um, this was studies done at um, Harvard, that when asking people if they want discussions of faith to be part of the counseling, about 60% of people will say yes. Now, I'm thinking, if 60% of the patient population says I want to have this discussion, um, you better be prepared to do it. But most Mm -hmm. counselors are not trained. They never trained me that in my graduate school. I taught in the school of medicine. We never talked about that um, in doing that. So what I do is when I'm seeing someone, I say, look, I, I believe that faith can be a part, but I'm only going to talk about if, if you're comfortable with that. I'm not going to force anything on you. We're not taking you down to the Jordan for baptism you know, between <laughs> sessions. I just want to know. And if they said, well, I'm, yeah, I am yeah, don't really practice religion. I said, okay, then how are you if we take stories from the Bible as stories about people who have struggled and came around? And so far, everybody said, yeah, all right, we'll do that. Now, um, what's also interesting is some may after a while resist and say, you know, I'm tired of these Bible stories. It's okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll use other things, but I always think it helps to have a story of someone else who's come through. Yeah. But eventually I see people weakening and I constantly hear this phrase of, I just don't know what my purpose is in life. I don't know where I'm going. So I say to them, well, then where do you go for hope? If you have no beliefs If this is it, why don't you become a psychopath? If nothing matters, do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and when we do talk about issues of faith, what it gives people who have uh, religion in their life, it gives them something to connect with and hope for. Otherwise, um, remember we learned in the history books that it used to be that they thought of ships that headed out into the ocean, it, all of a sudden it fell off, it was the end yeah. of everything. Um yeah. Well, without hope, without faith, without God, it's the same thing. You just fall off. There's nothing there. But with faith, with a belief in God, and, and with structured religion, by the way, is an important part. That isn't just saying... I'll pray whenever I'm in trouble. Um, people have a place to go; they have yeah. an image of hope, which is extremely helpful. So that that's how I bring it in. Um, and again, we, we, it doesn't cover everything, but in in the process of counseling, um, telling people stories, reminding them, using a quote or two of some strength in there, it uh, has a way of people recognizing, yeah, maybe I ought to pay more attention to this. That's worked for other people.
0: Yeah. Have you ever uh, do you ever pray with patients? Does that ever come up?
1: I do. Um, uh, I don't do it routinely uh, unless when the onset says, do you ever want to do that? Um, and sometimes I'll say, well, how about as your homework, you go do some praying. Um, but I've a couple of times when people have been in crisis, I've offered that and no one's turned it down. Um, and, and I even said, listen, if you're uncomfortable, say so, but I just want to do this. And I say, so one way or another, whether you're present, I'm going to pray for you. That's after right. the session. So, but if you want to hear what I'm going to say, you can just listen. So I do that. I mean, do you do that with patients?
0: Do you? Do- I do, and of course, I've I spent um, the first half of my career in the Bible Belt. It was easier there, and then I trained in Pittsburgh. Actually, I don't know if you knew that, but I trained with Joe in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, but I now live in Nebraska. It's it's pretty Bible Belty, and and, and people are receptive. And and I've noticed um, we just have a culture where one of my um, medical assistants or nurse or somebody will say, "Doctor Warren will pray with you if you want him to." And they often say, "Yeah, I want that." So, so I frequently pray with people in pre-op area and post-op, and and it, it's really um, I found I find it reduces that distance between you know exalted provider and lowly patient that some exactly. people perceive. Right, puts us on the same plane. Yeah,
1: you want that surgeon to have some humility. My um, granddaughter, when she was four, was diagnosed with neuroblastoma. Oh my! Stage four, so critical, late stage uh the tumor in her was pretty much filled up her abdomen from the bladder mm. to her heart and chest um and it was just tummy aches so we took her there and um and what happened was I uh, took her to children's hospital in pittsburgh and and they said look this is not a good diagnosis i think 90% of kids don't survive 5 years
0: yeah
1: um and although she looked good on the outside you know uh, the obviously the x-rays and ct scans look pretty um dismal well they said um not much we can do. We're doing a research study with 20 other hospitals. She'll be assigned to group A, B, or C. One's placebo, one's you know, whatever. And um, I remember my son-in-law saying, well, what if she's in a group and not responding? So, well, we don't switch groups. You remain in there, and um, you know, it's science. Well, that's not acceptable. This uh-huh. is our, our kid, my granddaughter. So Christmas Day of that year, so this is around December 8th or 9th, she was diagnosed. Christmas Day that year, my daughter is showing me an article from a newspaper in New Jersey about some doctor at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, is his name, um, who, when he was a resident, he decided he wanted to dedicate his life to do something that no one could do. And he decided he'd be a surgeon for neuroblastoma.
0: Wow.
1: And he had done thousands of cases up to that point. <clears throat> and it also said on days he is doing surgery, he goes to church that morning, His hand, he has his hands blessed. We'll pray with people too. And he goes and does that. I think they said it did some like 10,000 cases. He was in his 60s at this point. So I said, well, let's give him a call. Today's Christmas Day. Let's find him tomorrow. Didn't have a chance to. The next morning he calls her. And my my daughter says, well, how did you get my name? He says, well, your sorority sister is a friend of a friend of my daughter. And he said, fear not. She's going to be okay. we her here for surgery. We will remove the tumor. We'll give her other treatments. And uh, I said, well, what if something doesn't work? Then we'll try something else. He says, we see a few hundred patients a year with this disease, and we're Mm going to do it. And um, it was pretty amazing how that happened. And I think that I'm a big believer. Give me a surgeon who's ready to pray and has the humility to be doing those things, and I I love it. And that's where I hope when I offer prayers to someone, too, it may be foreign to many psychologists because we're told not to, but I don't care. I want to offer I want to offer my patients whatever I can.
0: The best thing you can for your patient. What, what happened with the rest of that story with your granddaughter?
1: So that was um, when she was four. So she has now gone through, she did two surgeries. One took 17 hours. One took 13 wow. hours. It crashed in those. A lot of touch and go times. Um, had to some other medical problems. Um, Dropped down to 27 pounds. Chemotherapy, radiation treatment, et cetera. Wow. But for the last six months, no evidence of cancer in her body.
0: Wow. All praise gone. God for that. Amazing.
1: Uh, crazy. Cool. She's um she's a little small and she's I'm smaller than the other kids at school, but I'm okay. And um, but it, it's just amazing, dynamic, lovely, wonderful little girl. That's so amazing.
0: Blessed. That's amazing. The Christ Cure, 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD, Dr. Tim Murphy. Um Eight-term U.S. congressman, uh, state senator in Pennsylvania before that, serves in the U.S. Navy, clinical psychologist, amazing guy. This is a a book that you need to read, friend. Um, And Lisa and I will give away a copy of the book uh, to the first listener that emails lee at drleewarren.com, send me your name and your mailing address, and we will send you a copy of Dr. Murphy's book. Um, Tim, there's somebody out there listening That said that just got the diagnosis. They just found out about the thing. They just got the phone call. Um, What's the first acute phase thing they need to do to try to find their way back to hope here?
1: Well, it really is the key word of hope. We will always have hope. Um, And even when you cannot see hope, there's the possibility of hope and the possibility of possibilities. What we cannot see doesn't mean it's not there. In in the fourth stage, when I talk about renewal, and one doesn't have to wait till later to do this, but the four key elements to that are choosing trust, choosing choosing faith instead of doubt, that the yeah. belief that there is a God. We don't understand everything, you know. I'm, I'll study this forever and still not know it all because it's so vast. But right. faith is part. The second part is trust. <clears throat> trust that there is some plan here. Um, you know, the answer to prayers is sometimes yes, sometimes no. And sometimes it's not yet. That doesn't mean we stop praying. It doesn't mean we stop hoping. It means we, we trust. Um, the third thing is grace uh, versus feeling empty. And grace is understanding that we are loved. We've always been loved. Uh, accept that love. With well, that comes a lot of responsibility. Despite anything we've done and despite anything we'll do, it's not earned. It's not part that comes with a merit badge, but that's that. But the fourth part is choosing a mission instead of just wandering around that make whatever you do meaningful. Uh, When I've been through troubles in my life, growing up with an alcoholic father, being depressed about that, et cetera, at some point when I said, I've got to turn this into my mission in life and find something good out of it. I'm sure that's been a big part why I've been a psychologist and and, and good at it because I can help other people. But there's a... A line, I think Alice says in Alice in Wonderland, I give myself very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. Um, <laughs> how we can help other people, but we don't necessarily see it in ourselves. Uh, we can That's see right. it in other people. Uh, and I have to, yeah, you laugh, and I have to laugh at that too. It's part of the humility uh, aspect to be humble and say, I don't have all the answers. Sorry, Michael, right, right. Right. I'm going to keep searching. So for that person, um, never give up. Always pray. Um, learn what you can. And think of this as also a moment where to reach out to help other people. We uh, Think, why help other people? I'm suffering myself. Because there is a great uh, joy in the bonds we form with other people when we're struggling.
0: Amen. Tim, honor to talk with you. I greatly appreciate your time today. I hope the book does well. And uh, I look forward to, to getting to know you more in the coming years.
1: That'd be great, too. I hope people can also look at my website, which is drtimmurphy.com, D-R-T-I-M-M-U-R-P-H-Y. And there I list some of my own podcasts and mm-hmm. some of my books, not just uh, The Christ Cure, but The Angry Child, another one about passive-aggressive behavior. And I put some blogs there, and people can write to me through that. I'd love to hear from folks. So awesome. drtimmurphy.com. Dr. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be with you.
0: Absolutely. We'll put all your links in the show notes. We're going to give away a copy of your book. And a special thanks to Dr. Joe Maroon for hooking us up today. It's uh, it's good to get to know you, Tim. Thank you so much. My blessings. Have a great day. I hope that was helpful to you. It was incredibly helpful to me, and I hope that you will go and get Tim's book, The Christ Cure. 10 Biblical Ways to Heal from Trauma, Tragedy, and PTSD. It's available everywhere books are sold now. Tremendous book from Tim Murphy, and I think it will really help you. Thanks for the Mind Change Monday. Attention you've given to this conversation. I pray that it's a blessing to you, friend. Remember, Hope is the First Dose releases on July 18th. It's also available for pre-order now everywhere books are sold. These two books will complement one another, and I think it will be helpful to you if you read both of them. Uh, Tim was a great guest. I look forward to reading his other work, and I'm grateful to Joe Maroon for introducing us and I hope he helped you change your mind so you can change your life because the good news is, my friend, you can start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together